Hello, I'm Reverend Jillian Edwards, your host for Tales from the Reading Room. On today's episode, I sit down with a very seasoned medium as we dive into the power of mediumship as a healing tool. So sit back, relax, and let's learn more about this medium's journey. Hi, everyone. I'm really honored to introduce my guest, Reverend Elaine Thomas. She's a medium, healer, and teacher. She's been doing this for over 44 years. Full disclosure, she's been my instructor in the world of mediumship. She's also been an instructor to many others as the co-founder of the School of Spiritual Healing and Prophecy. She's also the foundational pastor of Fellowships of the Spirit. I'm so thrilled that you joined me today, Elaine. Thank you for coming. Oh, I'm glad to be here. It's going to be fun. (laughs) I hope so. We always ask at the beginning, do you have a reading room? And if you do, what does it look like? Yes, uh, I do have a reading room. And it was originally a sun porch before we bought that house. And when I was setting up my reading room, I decided that I wanted people to feel comfortable and and safe there. And because it has windows all around on two sides, it was bright and cheerful. So in previous places where I had lived, people sometimes said, oh, there's no spangles or crystal balls here. And I said, no, that's not what we do. And so with that in mind, I made it into a a kind of middle North American sun porch with white wicker furniture and halfway up the windows, white cafe curtains and uh, teal carpeting and just... um, just warm and friendly and comfortable. Gets lots of sunshine and two chairs. I happen to have my uh, old player piano in there that I grew up playing both the player piano and also the regular piano. And so it's a room that when we bought that house in 83 has only been used for mediumship, meditation, and sometimes doing healings sessions with people there and and when I walk into that room everything that might be going on in my daily life stays outside that room and it it really has a developed the energy and the feeling of great peace in there yeah and not everybody knows about Lilydale New York and its history and and its uniqueness. And I'm wondering if you could just describe the little town, ta- what do you call it, a town, a gated yeah, a community? Little, a little gated community, uh, to put it in modern terms. And it was started in uh, the 1880s and is a, a tent camp community, you know, where people gathered in the summer and uh, people like uh, Susan B. Anthony and Katie Stanton, who were women's suffrage uh, cornerstones back in the day, were also people who came to Lilydale every summer. In fact, before many other places would allow women to speak publicly on any public platform, they were speaking in Lilydale. And there's a lot of documentation that they spent their summers there. And um, 
so out of that, people build cottages and there's an auditorium that holds about 1100 people and there's, you know, different teaching buildings and a, a, a church building that's used most of the time for healing and having laying on of hands services there and uh, there are outdoor service venues out in the woods that are just beautiful and this place called the stump is situated right in the heart of a one of the few old growth forests left in North America. And uh, it's just a, a very peaceful community. And um, there's approximately maybe a little over 200 private homes there as well. And it's a, a not only a fun place to be, but a place where people can come for classes and also uh, to watch people demonstrate mediumship, both publicly and privately, and um, also demonstrations of mediumship through healing. You know, I, I recently came across, and I, I can't remember uh, if it was I saw the video or I read an article, but about uh, you speaking um, and doing a lecture um, at the interface, you were an interfaith lecturer at Chautauqua Institute. And it was all about sort of, it was a very beautiful way of describing um, mediumship and the healing of it, and how other faiths talk about life after death. But really, spiritualism is the only one that actually has evidence and mediumship being the way to get that evidence. I'm wondering if you could talk about that experience. And, and I don't know, was has a spiritual minister ever spoken? No. Chautauqua, so you were the first. I was the first. They, they started Chautauqua Institution, I think, two or three years after Lilydale in the 1880s. And it was a Methodist training summer camp for both adults and children. That's how it originally started. And I am the first uh, spiritualist clergy to ever speak on their platform. And I was in what they call the Hall of Philosophy. And even though I've spoken countless times over the last 50 years, both in small and big venues and been on TV and radio, I want to tell you, I haven't had the jitters before a lecture ever to the degree that I had because I felt such a I felt so honored and such a sense of responsibility because my audience, I knew were going to be a lot of people who were not only very educated, but who were not necessarily believers. And so it was a very, it was packed. In fact, there were several hundred people outside the Hall of Philosophy on deck chairs. And, and so it was uh, a combination of sharing the history and, and of what has gone on. And one of the books, in case you folks out there are interested, there's a book by um, a woman named Anne Browdy, B-R-A-U-D-E, who uh, was doing her doctoral thesis at Harvard Divinity. And she studied the history of spiritualism through the lens of women's studies and, and how mediumship and spiritualism was part of the culture and the fabric of society during the second half in the of the 1800s and the beginning of the 1900s. And how women who had this gift that came to the surface were counseling people because 
it was not unusual for women to die in childbirth. It was very common for people to have lost at least one child through childhood diseases that in most countries today, children don't die from. And uh, there was a big gap because the traditional religions were saying there's life after death, but there was no demonstration, no evidence of it. And so she studied that in, in context of the culture. And one of the things that shocked me in the mid nineties when I read the first edition of her book was that the 1900 census in the US said that out of 21 million people in the US, 11 million put down their religion as spiritualism. I heard that somewhere. I mean, that is pretty awesome. And, and lest you think that it was only people who lost children, President Lincoln, there's a book called Was Lincoln a Spiritualist? No, he wasn't, but he believed in all of this. And in this book, it gives documentation of how he brought these mediums into the war room and they had maps and some of these mediums would go into trance and put pins in the map and tell the generals the sequence of how they needed to plot their strategies on the ground. And of course, some of them believed and some of them didn't, but when they followed it, they won the battles. And it's all documented in this little book. It's kind of hard to find, but you could probably find it somehow on the internet. And, and it documents that. And to this day, there is a plaque on uh, the outside of what is called the White House seance room. There was one president's wife who tried to get the plaque taken off and have it erased from history, but the preservationists stopped that. The person shall remain nameless. But there's uh, a strong history with that and not only that person, but people who have been in higher office uh, in both Canada and the U.S. I was just going to say, we had a prime minister who really, who loved yeah. going to seances. Yeah. And so yeah. there's a big tradition of it here in this country that even though it's kind of on under the radar and they probably wouldn't admit to it in a press conference, but it's out there. There was a need for this to bring peace. The woman that I studied with, Edith Sandy Wendling, she had seven children and four of them died before they were six years old. I can't even imagine the grief, even though I've worked with people who, just with one child, but four of her seven children. And then after she moved to Canada and then to the US, her son became an Eagle Scout. And then a few weeks after his 16th birthday, he was thrown from the rumble seat of a car and he died because there was no emergency medicine like there is today. So five of her seven children died and she lived to be a hundred and her two daughters who survived lived to be in their nineties. But there was such an amount of death between all the wars and all the sickness that there was such a great need for people to find peace that it became um, a widespread thing to consult with these mediums who uh, were healers. They were verbal healers. They may not ever have laid a hand on people, but they brought them to peace 
to show them that their loved ones weren't going to hang out in some purgatory and that there was no hell. The only hell was here. And that life does continue after the change that we call death, not to prove it, but to bring evidence that was irrefutable. And they also, even into the 70s and 80s, didn't just focus on what the spirit loved ones were in spirit and the evidence of that, but that those from the higher side of life could counsel us because they would have a broader view to improve the life and the quality of life if the person that they were reading for chose to take that counsel from those who had a broader view from the spirit side of life. Makes me think about today, you know, we're under this pandemic and it just makes you think, there's an opportunity here for spiritualism and for ministers, healers, and mediums to help people at this time. Because I think it's also causing a great awakening because of the huge pause we've had to take. I know a lot of people wrestled or wrestling with this pause for some people, but I think other people are really open now in a way maybe they weren't before. Yes. In a way you just described mediumship. but maybe for people who, who have no idea, would you be able to just sort of give your definition? And I, I also, you earlier used the word gift. And so I'm just curious what your definition of mediumship would be. Well, first I wanna add a baseline statement. We are all born with these gifts of the spirit that the Judeo-Christian Bible talks about. Other religions such as Hinduism call them cities or psychic powers. And it's part of how we're hardwired. All of us have it. Our culture doesn't necessarily uh, give it much thought or much credence except within narrow bounds of a priesthood or a hierarchy or that somebody has a special gift or that they're special. We're all special. Some of us have it closer to the surface than others. Some of us have it in a way that either due to Uh, significant events or tragedies in our life, it it awakens within us uh, quicker or more in a more prevalent way than others. But in growing up, my grandfather, one of my grandfathers died when I was five, very suddenly of a heart attack. And within weeks after his passing, my mother would come to the breakfast table and say, you know, grandpa, I had a dream about grandpa. And he came to the foot of our bed. And even though my mother couched it in terms of a dream, and even though I'd had no training in any or the word mediumship didn't exist in our family in the mid 50s, I knew that it wasn't a dream. And I would always say silently to myself, gee, I wonder when mom's going to get it. Grandpa's really here. It's not a dream. And he started coming to me. And I would either feel or hear him. I didn't very often see him. And he never judged me. But he was always there when my friends and I were going to get into mischief. (laughs) And I would feel, if you could feel a smile and a look, I would feel his look and his smile and then kind of half see him kind of going, I don't know about this, but he would never tell me not to. I would never feel guilty. It was all done with love. And 
though we were very, I was brought up Jewish, though we were very involved in the synagogue, most of my friends were Christian in the neighborhood that I lived in. And they were always concerned about, you know, evil spirits and the devil. And um, the devil plays a very small role in Judaism. So it was never an issue. <laughs> and though I had Jewish guilt, I didn't have Christian shame. So, so, um, and I hope I'm not offending anybody. And, and so I, I reasoned in my five-year-old mind, well, my grandpa was one of the most loving people on the planet while he was here. So I just know he's with God and the angels. And he was a presence in my life, all my formative years without me ever really talking about it. And so I couldn't do communication or linking in on purpose. I didn't know how, but it would happen spontaneously. And he, his comforting love that I was able to perceive changed my whole outlook about the world being a safe place and about possibility. Right. And, and when I've worked with other adults who who have had experiences as a child, or when I taught school uh, as a reading specialist for seven years, uh, I did my own private survey. And they're without exception, the children that I worked with from both kindergarten to ninth grade, both children who were labeled gifted intellectually and children who um, had learning challenges, every single one of them until grade four had had experiences seeing angels, loved ones who had died, precognitive experiences, deja vu without exception. So what happens in our um, school systems in North America in grade four? That is when most of the right brain activity goes away. That's when playground time is either gone or cut to the bone. Yeah. Art and music and other creative approaches to teaching are exchanged for intellectual left brain stuff. And I found that kids didn't lose their ability to connect, but the world we pay attention to is what becomes our reality. And so it recedes I found it doesn't leave us, but we don't give it credence and don't pay attention and track the um, accuracy of our intuition and our perceptions. So instead of working left and right brain and integrating it and still paying attention to our gut and our intuition, it's discounted and brushed aside like a strand of hair. And what we found is that it just needs some dusting off. And just like they say, you know, you don't forget how to ride a bike, but it may take pedaling a few feet before yeah. you get your equilibrium. And it's the same with all the spiritual gifts of the spirit that we are all gifted with. At least that's been my experience over the last just about 50 years of doing this on purpose. <laughs> So mediumship to you is a birthright, or would you just call it part of who we are? Both. And it's a gift of healing. Mm -hmm. And any of these abilities, 
it's not about me or you or the person who's receiving it. They're gifts of the spirit that we all have, and they're meant for tools for service in the quality of how we live our lives and in the quality of how we interact with others and treat others, at least in my opinion. It's not about proof of the continuity of life. That's only one part of it. Amen. I, I, I don't know how many times I've had that discussion myself, because I just think that the ability to heal personally, like the tools that we have within, um, and yes, we have to sometimes, uh, like you say, dust them off, but everything is right there. And once you learn how to use them, mediumship is one way, but the healing opportunity and the other tools are just as important or maybe even more important in some cases. Can we just talk a little bit about ethics? I mean, you have a school and we'll talk about the school in a little bit, but I remember the first time I actually formally tuned in when I was in a sit class. And again, uh, we can talk about that, but the, the first time I actually purposely sat with the idea of mediumship. I had been healing for a long time before and got information while I was healing, but I had never purposely sat as a medium. And the reverence, the reverence of being able to tune in. And then when you share that with someone and the look on their face or the feeling that they have when they receive that information, you know, as you learn to be that channel, because as you said, it's not really about us, it's about the energy of spirit. But there are a lot of ethics around that, I feel. I mean, basic, straightforward, but can you talk a little bit about? Every word that comes out of my mouth, and I've worked at this, is nobody has to or should do anything. And somebody very close to me always says, don't should on me and I won't should on you, S-H-O-U-L-D. Nobody has to do anything except breathe, pay taxes, and die. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just being facetious yeah. here. Yeah. But the thing is, is that it's not about going like this to people and telling them what to do. It's about receiving guidance that's going to empower people, whether it be about dealing with their grief or getting into a, a more resourceful space in their life. And never, never, never have I told somebody that someone's going to die because it's never over until it's over. I have seen people and know people who were hours away from death and a healing took place mentally and emotionally and their physical healed. And I've had people say to me, when they heard somebody was ill, oh, well, you know, they're not going to, you know, it's looking pretty grim. They're probably going to pass over. And I look at them and I said, you don't know that. I said, are you praying for them? When we know that there's a need, what are we doing about it? Both physically and spiritually, prayers count. There's an experience we had um, where somebody we knew had had a non-malignant brain tumor, but they were going to die if it wasn't operated on. And they were operated on at, at a cancer center. And the operation was a success, but the drugs that they had to give this person 
was shutting down their liver and they were pretty close to death. They were in the ICU and they were running 104 and a half temperature and the, they had her packed in ice. And we got a call that night from her sister in the middle of the night saying, you know, the doctor didn't know if she was going to make it and they couldn't break this fever. It wasn't coming down. And would we pray for her? So we got up and got ourselves centered. My husband and I were sitting there in prayer and meditating. And it felt like I was making it up, but I knew I wasn't. And in an instant, I was standing by her bedside and I didn't question it. And I started talking to her. I, she started talking back to me and I could hear her voice in my head as if I was standing by her bedside. She said, Elaine, I'm so tired. She said, I know I can be well, but I just don't know if I have it in me to stay. And, you know, I asked spirit and they said, she doesn't have to pass right now. It's her choice and remind her about her children. And she had two teenagers. And I said to her, you know, I want you to think about not out of guilt, but how much you love your children and how they give your life meaning and you being a single parent, how much they need you. And she just smiled and, you know, hooked up to all these, you know, machines. And I saw her, the smile in her eyes and a little bit on her lips. And she said to me, she said, oh, it is worth it. If I focus on them, I think I can find the strength I said, you know, it's your choice. You can go and there's no shame on that if you've had enough. She said, it's so beautiful over here. She said, but no, she said, I'm going to come back for my kids. And this is all going on inside my awareness. And all of a sudden I hear my husband say, I feel a shift in her energy. She's going to stay. And he was so excited. And I said, yes. I feel that too. And about 10, 15 minutes later, her sister calls us and said, all of a sudden, all her vitals changed and the fever broke and the doctor said that she's gonna make it now. And it was just at the time that he and I had received that confirmation from her. That's what this is about. It was a collaboration and teamwork from those in spirit and her and us. Yeah. And that's an example of how mediumship is healing. And, and we all have that direct connection with the divine. Though spirit loved ones and teachers and guides and angelic beings are there to work with us, we have that same link with the divine that they do. It's yeah. just that some of them are more adept and knowledgeable about how to do it. And so isn't it wonderful? We don't have to be puppets. It's not that they do it to us. Right. It's, we work together. And it should never be used for powers to walk around and say, oh, well, I know that about you even though we can all be telepathic with one another or clairsentient with one another or empathic, that's not what that's about. It's about upping the vibration and the ante and how to use it to help people and to improve the quality of all of our lives. At least that's my opinion. Well, yeah. And 
listening to you, I just started to think about all the different experiences I've, I've had in that healing space, right? right. And in all the different ways we're called to serve in the moment. And how I'm thinking about in your life and in the life of, of Mark, your husband, that phone call in the middle of the night to serve and how you just, you know, that call to serve, you don't question, you just do. And, and you trust the experience and the experience can be simple or profound. Right. Um, and, and if I could tell another story, of course, of course, it was 2005 and I was very ill. I had just had major full hysterectomy and they had found ovarian cancer and I was doing a combination of healing work and holistic and chemo. And the chemo had made me so sick that this one day um, I was laying in bed and I didn't know if I had the strength to even get up and cut myself a piece of cantaloupe. And I was kind of laying there wondering, you know, do I really want to eat enough to try to get out of bed and do this? And the phone rings and there was a phone next to our bed and the answering machine. And all of a sudden the answering machine clicks on and a, a long, long time friend who had trained with the same person I had, he said, I hear him on the machine and he's going, Elaine, please call me back as soon as possible. My younger son died last night. And I'm laying there going, I'm so sick, I can hardly exist. How can I even help him? And then the words of my teacher rang in my ears. She would always say, when the need is the greatest, the help is the greatest. And so I reached over and I picked up the phone and I said hello to him and I said, oh my God, are you okay? And of course I knew he wasn't. And he cried. He said, you know, my older son went in to wake him up and, and he was just there, you know, he was gone. So as he's telling me this and not much else, all of a sudden across my room, leaning on my chest of drawers was this cocky looking 21 year old who I hadn't seen since he was little. Mm. And he smiled at me. He said, hi, Elaine. He said, I want you to tell my father that there was nothing they could have done. And when they do an autopsy, they will find that my cardiovascular system was that of a dried up 90 year old man who had a lot of cardiac problems. And what it was from was that he had, from the time he had been 13 on, he'd been um, a severe alcoholic and a drug addict, off and on, in and out of rehab and all kinds of stuff. And the year before, he had totally dried out, cleaned up, gone into rehab, and had moved back in with his father and brother. He had had a job, and life was wonderful. Mm. And so his son says to me, please tell my father that this was the best year of my whole life. Mm, yeah. And he and my brother gave me the gift of what life could be like, but the damage that I had done to my physical body was so great. He said that his heart had just given out. And he said a lot of other things that were very personal. 
And he was standing there like a hologram, like you would see, you know, in the old Star Wars movie, yeah. you know, like <laughs> when Princess Leia would come up, you know? and I'm laying there and going, huh? And I probably spent about an hour on the phone with him. And he, I could tell that my friend had come to peace. And so without realizing it intentionally, I received a healing too. When we hung up that phone, I had been in that vibration of love with them and with spirit. And I felt wonderful. And so, you know, there's a misconception that somebody has to be in perfect health in order to be a healer. And that blew that one all to smithereens for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've just given us several examples of the experience of providing information to people. And I'm just wondering, as a medium, how has mediumship changed your life? Um, I think it's... It's changed my life from the time I didn't even know the words for it. When I was in about fourth grade, there were times I was, you know, in our family, children were heard, not just seen. And we were encouraged at family gatherings and at meals to discuss everything from our daily activities to politics to whatever. And when I was in fourth grade, there were times when I started noticing that I would feel like I had to tell a story and it would, the feeling wouldn't go away. And sometimes when I was with grownups in our family or kids who were older, and I'd say, you know, I don't know why I want to say this to you, but, <laughs> and I would tell them and either they would pat me on the head or pinch my cheek, which I hated as a kid because they would twist it. And they'd say old head on a young body that I don't know how you knew that Elaine, but it was exactly what I needed to hear. And so what I learned over time was these feelings that I would get held water. And I started, I didn't always pay attention to him. I didn't always pay attention to my grandfather. Um, but I learned sometimes as much by when I didn't follow my gut or my heart as when I did. And it gave me insight into not only human nature, but how I could make both my life better. And I wished, it's like, how can I do this on purpose? How can I help people? And of course, you know, in the 60s, there was nothing in the books that the guidance counselors were doing with us in high school. That's, <laughs> ah, you have these skills, uh, you can be a medium. <laughs> right. So, you know, I've learned to trust that guidance. And I'm paraphrasing the Bible when I say there's a saying, walk by faith, not by sight. It doesn't mean that we don't use our, our earth plane common sense, but it means that there are times that there are things that are not logical, at least with the evidence that we have at the time, but it's important to pay attention to that because it can change the course of our life and those who we know 
on an everyday level. And sometimes it's um, serious stuff and sometimes it's funny stuff or light stuff. You know, you talk about the birthright of every human being to experience the connection with spirit. And you relate that in to the school, right? The school um, has been open for what? I'm sorry, you said 30? We've, we've had 32 classes, 32 years. I'm wondering what it's like when you watch. I mean, I've had the privilege of, of mentoring in the, in the, in the uh, sick classes. And I love it when people get it. It's, I love it when the light comes on and, and they're sitting there and some of them are so excited and some are dumbfounded, right? Like, um, I want to say the biggest joy for me is kind of what you talked about, is watching the light in somebody's eyes when they know they can and watching that recognition and, and that um, the awareness and the joy of hitting that bullseye and that it is real for in them and that, that they can, that I can, that, that to me, um, if, if there was only one class I could teach, it would be spiritual insight training. Because when I was brought up in this work, I was told that it takes 20 years before you're either a good healer or a good medium and you can't do both. I was told that you're either clairvoyant, clairsentient or uh, clairaudient. And if you've got one, it doesn't mean you can ever get the other. Well, those are all people's rules. It's just like the mediums that I hear, they have to sit Southwest. They can only eat certain things in a day. They have all <laughs> these rules that have nothing to do with natural law or right. divinity, but their rules. And so I believe that someday, probably not in years in my lifetime, but we'll all live in an intuitive, psychic, telepathic world. And until then, it's so important that we can share these gifts of the spirit so that people, if they choose to, can plug it into their life and work with many programs that have been downloaded, but not opened up to use <laughs> our modern terms. Right. You know, we're all hardwired for it. Yeah. All the programs are there. It's just linking in with it. And it's gone back to ancient times. These have been available since before recorded time. And until probably the late 1800s, early 1900s, it was only taught in cloistered or secret societies or cloistered monasteries. And so it's about bringing it out into the public to realize that it's not about a priesthood. It's not about rabbis and ministers or mediums or healers. It's about everyone if we choose it. It's just like mathematics used to only be taught in monasteries for the hierarchy. And it's the same with this. And so, you know, my people have said to me, Jeezy Lane, you know, if people, if everybody can do what you can do, you know, um, you're going to put yourself out of business. And I said, great. I said, spirit will give me something else to do. There's always something else, you know? And, and so I believe, as I've said before, that 
it's about, like you said, it's seeing that light in somebody's eyes and then them knowing that they don't need me or anybody else to make that link. Yeah, I, I know we've alluded to it, but the School of Spiritual Healing and Prophecy is yours is the school you co-founded. Right. I just have to say that um, as an observer, I think one of the most profound examples of intention is the school. Like, I think about that as a simple exercise, but when you really think about it, that is what, to me anyways, a beautiful example of intention, clear intention. And so I'm just wondering if you could talk about the school a bit. So back in the early 80s, my husband, Mark, and I were looking around and saying, you know, it shouldn't have to take so long for people to unfold their gifts. And our belief was that we all had it, but it's not about being gifted. We all have it. How do we bring it to the present? How do we bring it to the surface? And he said to me, you know, you spent 12 and a half years studying with an excellent teacher, but people don't have the patience nor the time that they want to devote to stuff like that anymore. And whether it's good or bad, that's the way it is. And so we started searching for some of the uh, modern accelerated learning technologies and found ways to apply them to spiritual principles and practices. And so in 87, we put out a flyer that said, this is an experiment. We don't know if it's going to work. This is the first time we've done it. And we didn't think anybody'd sign up because we were being totally <laughs> honest. Come to this class, pay for it, spend a weekend with us, but we don't know if it's going to work. And but we did it anyway. And 17 people came. Only wow. three had ever meditated before. We taught them to meditate that night because our belief is that you go to God first, you go to the divine first. And then we taught them how to do hands-on healing. And the, one of the women in the class, unbeknownst to us, was scheduled within the month to go for hip replacement. And when she, who was a rookie, was receiving healing from somebody else, she said afterwards, she said, well, I didn't really feel anything, but there was this current of energy that went right through my whole body for a <laughs> second, and then it was over. Yeah, nothing. And then nothing. Three weeks later, I get a call because she'd gone for pre-surgical pictures. And the doctor said, I don't know what happened, but there's nothing wrong with your hip. And during that three weeks, she had had no pain, which she couldn't figure out why. We kind of stayed in touch for about five years. And at least within that five years, uh, when she had gone for some scans, there was nothing wrong with her hip. But nothing much happened. No, nothing. <laughs> and by Saturday afternoon at dinner time, with the combining the ancient ways of teaching it with accelerated learning techniques, every single one of those 17 people were giving verifiable messages, even if it was just a sentence or two. And Mark and I were going, huh, this is really working with everyone. And so after doing some more of those, we decided people kept asking us for part two and then part three. And we said, part three was life. And then we said, what if we assembled a group of instructors who were all excellent in 
their spiritual training, uh, their mediumship and or healing and, and sacred space and set up a school where people could go into in-depth learning in a short period of time because we had these accelerated learning techniques that could be infused with the old ways of training. That's how the school came about. So there would be in-depth training for skills, but also at the heart and core of it was, was personal spiritual growth because we can only be as clear for others as we are for ourselves. If they were gonna be in the school, they had to grow because to develop the skills in this way, it wasn't just about giving facts or being a medium who could um, uh, deliver only the facts. It was about bringing in the wisdom and the healing of whatever they were doing. And in order to do that, a person needs to look in the mirror because their biases, their um, distortions, or their prejudices. And I always say to our students, know what you have a bias about, know what your attitude is about anything because it will filter and color how you are working with people. And I've seen people who do this kind of spiritual work and I cringe because of the harm of the power of suggestion and because of the side blinders that they have on. And I've learned from that and so we've always stressed, you know, first you go inside and you go into the closet and close the door as the saying goes mm -hmm. and be one with the creator. And out of that, all things are given. And I'm paraphrasing, you know, seek ye first the kingdom and everything will be added on. And the people who have gone through our trainings who do that are doing incredible transformational work, whether it be publicly or whether it be within the circle of their own family or in um, one of our graduates who um, before he retired was an endodontist and he never talked about doing healing, but in between procedures when he would do like cutting of bone and oral surgery with it, mm -hmm. you know, until one day this woman said, when she had the stuff out of her mouth, she said, doc, she said, I know what you're doing when you're <laughs> pausing. I can feel the energy going into my jaw. And he said, oh, really? <laughs> Because he hadn't been, you know, he hadn't talked about it in his practice. And she said, oh, yeah. She said, I have to go for a checkup because she said she had a detached retina that they were concerned about. It was detaching. She said, would you put your hands over my eyes? I know it's not part of my session here and your profession as a dentist. But she said, would you do that? And when she went to the doctor, um, there was no need for surgery. Her retina was fine there's spillover. He didn't go and change his profession. He infused with what he was doing and enhanced and deepened and broadened what he was able to do. That's a beautiful story. I know this is sort of out in left field because I'm sure you have. And one question we ask everyone that comes on the podcast is about phenomenon. And in a way we've kind of touched on it 
but I'm wondering if you've ever sat specifically to experience phenomenon or you've had it in your presence in a different way. Yes. One of my favorites happened in Toronto. And this was back in the mid 70s when there were over 60, almost 70 spiritualist churches in greater Toronto area. I know that's hard. Yeah. And at that time, there were 39 spiritualist churches in Buffalo area, but people weren't training people. So they died off, you know, so (laughs) they had brought in a woman named Queenie Nixon from England. And she was a transfiguration medium. And there were about 300 people in the session. And there was only red light beamed into the room and beamed on the medium. And this woman, she was uh, a shorter woman, soft waves in her hair. And there's a reason I'm describing this. Soft waves in her hair. And she stood up there and she said, she told us what the sequence was going to be. And she said, I'm going to go into meditation. And then my chemist in spirit, who's Asian, is going to transfigure over me and tell you how things are going to go for the session. So she closed her eyes. And I want to tell you, almost solid over her was a uh, Um, an Asian man with a long face and a Fu Manchu mustache and long hair and a hat. And you could, you didn't have to blink at all. You could see it almost solid, but you could kind of see her underneath it. And he explained what he was going to do. He said, I will be in the background running the chemistry from my dimension to the medium's body. And he said, you know, he said that next the medium from spirit was going to come through and deliver the message. And you had to answer her when she called out to you. And, and um, he said, and then she would recede during, after each message and then different um, family and friends of the person who was getting the message would see the image some and and most of those beings wouldn't be talking like the the medium and spirit and him but you would get to see it and so he receded and we didn't see him the rest of the time and then this woman with british accent okay. started talking and she had um little ringlet her hair was like a honey blonde and the other woman had, you know, the medium herself, the physical medium had had brown hair and it was like a honey blonde and almost ringlets. And I'm going to really date myself because it looked like she had used spoolies or, you know, <laughs> bobby pins to make all those little ringlets. So perfect. And, and her voice was really high pitched and she would call out between six and nine names you had to know anybody in your group because people had come in groups, a lot of them, or yourself, who is this person? Who is that person? You know, and they would have to respond and say who it was. And then the thing that the whole crowd there roared with, there's this one man who um, she would recede. And then this man appeared and he looked like Rudolph Valentino. He wasn't, but he had that look and with the middle part and the straight hair and the real prominent long nose. And he preened for all of us. And somebody in that group 
shouted out, well, he was always stuck on himself when he was here. He probably hasn't learned a thing since he's gotten to the other side. Everybody, 300 people were laughing. We went back, you know, I I drove home with a friend the next day, but um, we came back three days later and were able to get into another session because we knew it was something that we would probably never see again. I mean, it was so incredible. And the messages that came through from uh, the medium and spirit uplifted the people about their life. Mm. And she did that also. So, you know, it was unique and it was purposeful it because, because there was that it, to me, at least there was that healing element and, uh, it wasn't just just spirit communication. And there have been other things that I've seen some, what I'm seeing now, which concerns me, is there are people who are doing physical mediumship only for the sake of bringing the phenomena through. And there's no, to me, redeeming value other than, okay, so it's phenomena. There's a lot of phenomena in our world, both physical and non-physical. So how does that improve the quality of life? To me, that's a carnival. Yeah, exactly. it's It's off message and off purpose for what these psychic powers, so to speak, or gifts of the spirit are meant for. It doesn't mean they're bad or evil, but it's like, why are you wasting your time on a carnival when there's so much more? Uh, but that's my bias. It doesn't mean I'm right. It's not something that I encourage people to get hooked on because, you know, um, I and I've seen there was one physical phenomena seance that I was invited to. There were things supposedly floating around the room and manifesting. And one of the people there uh, reached out their foot and tripped a spirit who righted themselves before they could physically fall to the floor because it was done in total darkness. So, you know, as so it's real important, the phenomena can be real, but what is the purpose of it? And also um, a lot of that is fake. Yeah. And not all, because I've seen several that it's the real thing, yeah. but um, go to a carnival. Yeah. <laughs> We, we actually had never, I had never experienced table tipping. So a year ago at, at our church, um, we had somebody come in and demonstrate it. And, um, and then we participated in it. And it was, it was interesting, right? Not something I've ever really been interested in for the very reason that you and in fact, part of it is also my grandmother would say to me, you know what, that is like a a base tool, the way she spoke about it. it was very basic. It was a way to practice maybe or or see what you could do, but that was not what you do, that there was a higher purpose for for your energy and and things like that. So so, so here's one that you know it's it's important if somebody wants to see the real thing, go mm. and explore it. It's just about is that to make is that the purpose of your quest? And uh, one of our graduates, her husband's aunt was a medium and a healer from probably the 20s all the way through the 50s when she passed. And she had 
phenomenal physical mediumship. That's not what she focused on, but it was in the 30s and they were all at her mother's house. In other words, his grandmother's house. And she had a lot of brothers who always made fun of her as a medium. And there were about 20 people that were going to sit at this huge cloth dining room table. It was a holiday they were celebrating. And her brothers really started needling her as only siblings can with one another at times. And they were making fun of her with her mediumship. And the table was all set and her mother, who was kind of the matriarch, was, you know, about to get everything going for everybody to sit down. And her brothers were making fun of her. And she said, and they said, oh, I bet you can't levitate that table. And she just said, I've had it. And she focused on the table and she raised it up six inches above the ground of the floor in the dining room and then walked away and left it there. And she turned to them and she said, go and try to put this down on the floor. And she walked out of the dining room and she had four brothers who kept trying to push the table down and it wouldn't go down. This is a true story. Her mother walked into the dining room and screamed at her, you're gonna mess up my dinner. You put that table back where it came from. Oh my and she lowered the table slowly. And it's a real story. And she had that ability. She used it usually for other, <laughs> other purposes. <laughs> but she had that ability. It's amazing. Um, just before we, we close, and, and thank you so much for your time and the information and the stories. Fantastic. If people wanted to start their journey or they're curious about mediumship or healing, are there books that you recommend people check out? There are so many good books yeah. on the market now. As far as healing goes, uh, Harry Edwards is the gold standard. He was, for those of you who don't know, he was from Great Britain. He was able to get healing legalized as a bona fide form of medical assistance in Great Britain. Yeah. And uh, he's written at least five or six books. You can Google him. Uh, one of them is called The Healing Intelligence. Um, Another person on healing that I would recommend is Tina Zion, who teaches medical intuition. And she has like, I think, four or five books out. One of them, I think, is in 23 languages. Well, she's taught Reiki as well as other forms of medical intuition. And she's like a fifth generation medium. You know, her books on healing are fabulous. The books on mediumship, I wouldn't say that I know of one book that's great, but there are books with great things in them. And be a discriminating consumer. Does it make sense? Do they give you a practical information that you can implement? And put on, if, and I say this respectfully, put on your crap detectors. If it sounds too fantastic, it usually is. <laughs> you know, use your common sense and try out the trainings. And if somebody says their way is the only way or their way is the best way, I would turn on my heel so fast and walk in the other direction. And also that um, there are some schools of thought that say this is the only way to do it. Or if you train with them, you can't 
train other places, that's fine for their little niche, but I would not encourage my family members to do that approach. My belief is that wherever somebody is drawn, take the best and leave the rest. Take the best sometimes from what they don't do well and learn from it and do it in a different way as well as what they're excellent in. And I encourage people, you know, people who've gone through the school and had the uh, multiple instructors that we offer to also study with other people and to take the best and leave the rest because all of us have unique ways of going about things. And isn't that beautiful that there's that diversity. And uh, if I could close with a little joke that I know, Jillian, that you've heard before, that I've never forgotten that my 42-year-old son shared with me when he was seven, walking around with his new joke book. He said, mom, how do you catch a unique bird? And I said, I don't know, honey. And he said, you have to sneak up on it. <laughs> and which, you know, from a seven-year-old, I thought that was really cool. And then, then he said, how do you catch a tame bird? And I said, I don't know, tell me. He said, the tame way. And so we're kind of all unique birds and sometimes we have to sneak up on ourselves <laughs> to trust and to explore. I've always kind of remembered that little joke because I think it really applies to so many of us to put our toe in the water and take the best and leave the rest. I think that is a beautiful way to end our conversation. But before we do, is there anything else that you feel is important that somebody maybe who is new or exploring mediumship would need to know? Follow your heart, not your emotions. Follow your heart. What is it that your heart's yearning for? Because that's the secret. And it's been said by so many people, but the only thing that really matters is love. And we're not talking romantic love here. We're talking about the vibration of love. Uh, when I was in college and working in the university library, somebody, my boss was studying Japanese and she told me there were 21 words in Japanese for tints and shades of love. We only have a, maybe three or four in the English language. And it's those nuances. And it's the nuances in us being in that space where it's not about duty, but it's about loving service. You know, are you in it not to do it to or for people, but because you have the need to give? or you have the needing need to learn and grow and to find peace within you. And it's all an inside job. It's not what happens outside. It's an inside job. And that's what I would encourage people to look at as they uh, learn and grow. And that not just the sky, but the universe is the limit. We're just scratching the surface. Even those of us who've been into it for years, I still feel, I said, I think I'm out of pre-K, but I'm probably still in kindergarten with a course of study and service that one could never get bored with because there's always something new to integrate or to take it to that next level within ourself and with and for other people if we so choose to. 
Well, I have to say that, you know, I'm living proof of that. I mean, I went to the school and I know that to be true. And, and I, I can't even imagine the, doing this work and doing service without the personal growth. And so, and the exposure to so many other people who do the same thing, as you say, in their own unique way. And so I'm biased. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I've looked at so many, I've, I've observed different, the way different people work and different uh, schools and um, the quality um, of the various people that come through the doors of the school um, are fantastic. And I, I, I highly recommend that people think about it, you know, because Thank you. It changed my life. And as I said, before we began, when I think, I know that it was the quickest decision I've ever made in my life, one to go to the school, and two to continue in the school. <laughs> I don't think I've made a decision like that ever since. It was a knowingness. It was a knowingness and it happened so quickly. So thank you for today. I really, really appreciate it. I, I hope that you enjoyed yourself. I hope I, I really appreciate you taking the time. And I know that if people wanted to reach out to you or learn more about you, they could go to your website, www.com reverendelainethomas.com that's www.reverendelainethomas.com thank you elaine we really appreciate it thank you glad i could help today that was reverend elaine thomas i thought she gave us some incredible evidential stories about life and her work as a medium. I mean, the story about her being ill in bed and not really wanting to get out, and then getting that telephone call from her dear friend, learning that he had lost his son that morning. And then while talking to him, that gentleman's son appeared at the foot of her bed, and Elaine knew she had to relay that message to the father, giving him that peace, and then realizing that in that loving energy, she too found peace and healing. It's incredible. I mean, if ever there's wonderful examples of just the multidimensional levels that we can all work on or that we all actually work on. And as she's pointed out in her talk, I think sometimes we don't even realize we have those available to us. I guess the other thing I took away is just how life-affirming mediumship can be. When you open your heart, anything is possible. Tales from the Reading Room is produced by Susan Edwards and Katie Balfour and is produced and hosted by me, Reverend Jillian Edwards. A very special thank you to our guest, Reverend Elaine Thomas, and all of the music on this episode was created by purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. Thanks for listening. See ya!